king's party is interrupted by a floating hand writing on a wall. Something big is about to happen that very night. You're listening to The Bible Brief. Having done a few episodes focused on the king of Babylon's dream and Daniel's dream concerning future empires, we're going to get back to the narrative of the Bible. Today, we're going to see how these prophetic dreams begin to work themselves out in history. Are you ready? Let's get to it. We're picking up our story back in Babylon, where the prophet Daniel is assisting King Nebuchadnezzar as the king needs him. As we've seen, usually this has to do with dream interpretation. And if you'll recall from our run through the Bible, Nebuchadnezzar ends up having another dream, which predicts Nebuchadnezzar's removal from rule for a period of seven years to humble him. During this seven years, he will be removed from rule, and he will live with the mind of a wild animal. The proud king of Babylon will be humbled by God until he recognizes that God rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And so at the end of this seven-year banishment from rule, to live with a mind like a wild animal, the king Nebuchadnezzar is recorded as saying this, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven, and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. God used the king of the known world at the time, the king of Babylon, to illustrate the truth that God is king over all kings, and he can give dominion and kingship to whomever he wills. People aren't owed subordinate sovereignty by God. Instead, he grants it for his own pleasure and purposes. Rulers of our current age don't often recognize that they're owed their rule to the sovereign purposes of God. They should be humble like Nebuchadnezzar ended up, rather than proud like the next king we'll talk about. After this first-person account from Nebuchadnezzar, the narrative quickly shifts to a later ruler of Babylon, a descendant of Nebuchadnezzar. This king's name is Belshazzar, and Belshazzar is removed from rule in a different way. Rather than a seven-year hiatus like Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar is removed permanently. This removal of Belshazzar from rule is done in a dramatic fashion, too with a peculiar scene in the Bible involving the appearance of a hand writing on a wall. This is actually where we get the phrase, the writing is on the wall, when we say that something inevitable is coming. Try to picture this scene in your head as I read it. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. 
They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote in the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, opposite the lampstand, and the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. Notice the events leading up to the hand appearing to write on the wall. It says that Belshazzar was throwing a party for thousands of people, and likely they were in a state of drunkenness. In this state, they decide to bring in some of the items that were formerly used in the temple in Jerusalem for worship. These items would have been used exclusively by priests as they did their duties in the temple built by King Solomon. And the partiers drink out of them and then praise the Babylonian gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Items for the worship of the true God were used to worship the fake gods of the Babylonians. And it's at this point that the hand suddenly appears to write an inscription on the wall that none of the wise men of Babylon can understand. That said, King Belshazzar apparently has a sense of what sort of message this might be. Notice in the passage that his knees are knocking together and his color changed. It appears that he senses some sort of impending judgment. The writing is on the wall. At this point, the queen comes into the party room. So let's take a listen. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall. And the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Now Daniel's much older at this point, probably somewhere in his 80s, and had apparently lost fame since the days of Nebuchadnezzar. That said, the queen remembered Daniel and suggests that he's called to give his wise counsel. And Daniel comes in the room and begins to make known the interpretation of the writing on the wall. But before he does, he tells Belshazzar of a story he already knows. The story of Nebuchadnezzar, the story we've already recounted, where Nebuchadnezzar, a few decades before, was humbled by his seven-year banishment from rule. Daniel emphasizes that Belshazzar, the current king, knows this story but hasn't heeded its lesson. Daniel says this, You, Nebuchadnezzar's son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and you concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene. Tekel and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the ways of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting.
Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And then, only two verses later, we see the demise of Belshazzar. It says this, That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom. The shift from the Babylonian Empire to the Medo-Persian Empire was swift. In a single night, and by the judgment of God, Belshazzar's reign and the dominance of his empire was decimated. Already, Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the statue had moved past the gold head of Babylon and was now to the silver kingdom of Medo-Persia. Now, there are some things we wish we didn't have to skip in the story of Daniel, involving prayer and lions and God miraculously saving Daniel. But even though we'll have to skip them, we'd encourage you to read that story in Daniel chapter 6. Instead, we're going to bring the exile period to a close. After these dramatic events that we're skipping, Daniel again finds himself as an advisor to the king, and we're told that Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Chronologically, this is where Daniel's story in the Bible largely ends. Daniel was a prophet faithful to God no matter the cost, and God gave him incredible insight into the future of the world. Through Daniel, God gave hope to the exiled nation. The 70-year exile from the land of Canaan was coming to a close, and God was giving a hopeful view into the future for the nation of Israel. If you remember from our run-through, this hopeful future included the exact timing for when Messiah was expected to arrive on the world stage. Remember, Daniel said that it would be 483 years from a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, a decree that ultimately goes out in 444 BC. However, prior to that, we see a decree from this King Cyrus of a different character. This decree is the one that the Israelites had been waiting for, the decree announcing the end of the exile and a return to life in the land of Canaan, the decree beginning a new phase for the Jewish people. The Bible records this at the very end of the book of 2 Chronicles. It says this, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. The people were allowed to return to the land, and Cyrus would help finance the rebuilding of the great temple in Jerusalem. You might imagine the relief and expectations when the Jews heard the decree. Finally, it was time to go back. In our next episode, we're going to see waves of exiles return to the land. What will they find when they get there? Will there be peace this time, or more war? How will this all work with Cyrus still ruling over the region? Will they have a king again? Questions swirl as the journeys to the land begin in earnest. All with a new expectation. The Messiah is coming, and the clock is about to start. Thanks for listening to The Bible Brief. 
Are you enjoying the podcast? One of the best ways for the show to grow is for you to share it with a friend. Will you do that today? We'd love to help more people understand the life-changing story and message of the Bible. Thank you for your support and thank you for listening. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2022.